It's a beautiful name. It's a powerful name. It's the only name whereby we've been given among men whereby we might be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. We are in verses 22 to 24. We've had a two-week break for me to cover this, and I ain't scared. I promise you I'm not scared on this one. Uh, it's called uh, marriage, big M, little M is what I'm calling it today. So here we go about marriage, and let me set up the context because it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Ephesians. We've got to back this train up. Allow me to back this train up, and let's just jump, jump into wives submit in verse 22, because I know when I say wives, we get nervous with the S word. But once you understand what the S word means in the context of the culture and the context of the scripture, it's really not any big deal, and I'll show you why in just a moment. So we're going to back up a little bit, and let's talk about there are four Greek participles that explain things prior to Paul talking about marriage. And we talked about this the last time we were together. We said in verse 19, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, the four participles are we will uh, be a speaking group. We'll speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's one of the characteristics of being filled with Jesus. Secondly, we will um, sing and make melody in our hearts. Number two, we will be a thankful people. And then it says the last participle is submitting to one another in the fear, not of our spouse, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So Paul says we're already submitted to one another. That's what the text says. So he says we're already submitted to one another out of fear of Christ. A lot of people submit out of the fear of a spouse, but that's not what Paul says. He says submit out of fear of Christ. In other words, the only way that we can come into submission with one another is to first come into a vertical relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ right? So when we're submitted to him, then we're already submitted to one another. So those are the participles that come in this text prior to marriage. And then he says a verb in chapter 5, verse 18, he says, but be filled with the Spirit. So the key to marriage, the key to the four characteristics that I just told you about is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, the word filled means to be filled to the fullness, to be filled to where you overflow. And so what that means is that's not something that I can do to me or you can do to me. That's something that has to be done to us. It's in a passive verb. Passive means it has to be done to you. Active means you participate in that. So this is what Jesus does for us. When we trust him, listen carefully, as our Lord and Savior, his spirit comes to live in us. But we are continually dependent upon him to fill us with the Spirit of God, present tense, as we walk through this life, as we are continually filled and we are continually dependent upon him, then we understand that we will continually speak to one another, we will continue to sing songs, we will continue to be thankful, and we will continue to be submitted to one another. So do you see what Paul says? Before we ever get into marriage, he says, you're already submitted to one another. So then he comes and says, wives, submit. In the original language, in the Greek, the word submit is not even there. Wives, you would say, well, that's good. I didn't like it anyway. But listen, the reason the translators 
didn't put it in there is because of the concept that's already in verse 21. He says you're already submitted to one another. So the idea is we have this relationship. We submit to Jesus Christ. And so we submit in relationships out of fear and reverence for God. You see, that's the most important thing. Marriage is built upon the fact that you are filled with the Spirit. When you have a wife that is filled with the Spirit, and a husband that is filled with the Spirit, and then you take the Holy Spirit that lives in the husband and the wife, you have triple submission because you have the Lord Jesus Christ living in you, which is a beautiful name, a powerful name, and then the Christ that lives in you and lives in your spouse is then comes together in the dynamic relationships of, of oneness, and so then you have a triple submission. Submit to one another, what? Out of fear of the spouse? No. Out of fear and reverence for Christ. So here's the key. The key to marriage is being filled with the Spirit. And see, our culture doesn't know how to define marriage, doesn't speak truth about marriage. Our culture is in chaos about what the word marriage means. But God's Word has always stood the test of time, and we believe God's Word to the fullness of what He said. And so He wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul did, and He got His words from God. So He's just teaching us that we're already submitted to one another in the fear of Christ. So we have this relationship, and sometimes relationships get fractured. Let me see if I can share with a little story. It's a story of a, it's a true story of a little, a true story, that means I'm lying. It's a story of a little boy who lived in a very small town, and it was so small they had a mirror at the end of the town to kind of make it look bigger. And so there was only one store, and it was called a drugstore. You remember those? And so you would go to the drugstore for everything, So this little boy went to the drugstore and he asked the pharmacist, back then it was called the druggist, but I'm trying to bring it up to speed here, the pharmacist. He said, I want a five-pound box of candy, a three-pound box of candy, and a one-pound box of candy. And the pharmacist said, okay, I can do that. So the pharmacist got together and he got the goods together and he looked at the little boy and he said, son, he said, I just have to ask you, that, that is a very unusual request. And he said, I'd just like to know what it is that you're going to do. And he said, oh, listen. He said, I have got a date tonight with the most beautiful girl on the planet. And he said, I want to have some options with my boxes based on how this night goes. This is a little boy. So he's going to go on a date. And he said, now, if if I'm able to hold her hand, I'm going to give her the one-pound box of candy if I'm able to hold her hand. And if for some reason God really moves, and it could be miraculous, but I get to put my arm around her, I'm going to give her a three-pound box of chocolate and candy. And if I absolutely get to kiss her lips, I'm going to give her a five-pound box of chocolate. So the pharmacist kind of looked puzzled, and the little boy went on his way, and then later that night, the little boy showed up for dinner, and lo and behold, they asked him to pray at the dinner table. And he prayed, and he prayed, and He continued to pray and he prayed around the world and once he got around the world in prayer, he went around the world one more time and he prayed and he prayed and finally he said amen and the girl looked to him and said, Billy, I didn't know you were so religious and he said, I didn't know your daddy was the pharmacist. (laughs) So sometimes, I'm glad you got it. You see, sometimes we get in trouble in relationships because when, when relationships are built around Jesus Christ and marriages are built around Jesus Christ, then you have a successful marriage. And the reason I call it big M and little M is this. 
Big M represents the heavenly marriage. The marriage that was planned before time began in the heart of God. It was God's eternal plan that Jesus Christ would come and that Jesus Christ, the bride, would go across the tracks to find people like you and me and rescue us from our sin. And so when we're rescued from our sin and we come into a right relationship with Jesus, that's called a heavenly marriage. Christ his and his bride, the church, which is you and me. So that's the big M and that's the heavenly reality. So what Paul is saying is little m Heavenly reality is the marriage between Christ and the church. Little m is the marriage between a man and a woman. So if we have the reality of Christ and his church, the little m is a metaphor of the heavenly m, which is Christ and his church. So actually, when people see our marriages, they should see the beauty of the eternal romance of God the Father and God the Son that carried out the plan and came to rescue us. So actually, your marriage and my marriage can be a missionary marriage because we want people not to see us in our marriage. We want them to see the big M, the heavenly marriage, and that is Jesus Christ. Now you say that's marriage? It absolutely is. Paul, when he was writing, was covering a love song, if you will. He was covering a love song, and we are covering that love song again with another cover. It's kind of like when I grew up, Lionel Richie had a lot of love songs. Ah, endless love. I could sing it, but I won't. Always and forever. But the eternal love song between God the Father and God the Son rescuing us from our sin is marriage is the cover song for all eternity. So Paul is talking about the beauty of the big M and the little M when everyone is submitted to Christ in a marriage. Now, that's just the setup. That's for free. Now, Now verse 22, wives, here's how you should read it. Wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. See, the word submit is not there in the original language because it's already there in verse 21. So submission means to come into a right relationship with Jesus. And the text says here that your primary relationship, wives, is not to your husband. It's to your Lord. That's what the text says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, this is the beautiful thing about it. Your primary relationship is to your Lord. In a marriage, it's never a husband versus the wife or the wife versus the husband. It's never me versus you. It's always we yield to Jesus in our relationship. It's not about us. It's not about each other. It's about honoring and glorifying Jesus in your marriage. That's what Paul's saying. So for those of you that are young in here and you're not married, uh, listen very carefully because this is what the Bible teaches. Now, you might think, well, it doesn't sound like women are very uh, valued here in the text. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the culture in which Paul wrote where women were not valued at all. So basically in the culture in the first century, in the Greek and Roman culture, In order to maintain um, order in the society, they started with the state and then they went to the smallest part of the state. And the smallest part of the state was the household. Let me tell you what the culture was in the first century. In the first century, men dominated in the family. In fact, women could not even choose their own religion. Men chose that for them. They controlled, they manipulated, and they dominated. 
So in the society that Paul is writing to, and he's liberating women into freedom in Jesus Christ, the culture didn't look upon women very well. They were inferior. They were not superior to men. They were inferior. And so what would happen was, not only wives were inferior, but the next part in Ephesians chapter 6 is parents and children. So the children didn't have a voice. It was the man dominating over the child. Not only did the man dominate in the uh, marriage relationship and in the parent relationship, the man dominated in a slave-master relationship. So what you had in this culture, in society, listen carefully, in Ephesus was a total culture domination by men who looked at their lives like the CEO, the boss of the whole world, and they put pressure, undue pressure on women, and the women didn't have a voice. The children didn't have a voice. The slaves didn't have a voice until Jesus came along. And then when Jesus began to not only change men, he began to change children. And children began to know who Jesus is. And women began to know who Jesus is. So what happened is the gospel came into a culture that was totally dominated by men. And God says, there's a plan for the children. There's a plan for the women. And they are never freer than when they submit to Jesus Christ. And that was Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. So do you see what Paul's doing here? The greatest liberator of women in the world was Jesus Christ and salvation who sets people free so they can be all that they should be in him. That's what Paul's saying here. Be careful what you read on the internet. Be careful the books you read. Be careful the conferences you go to because a conference that doesn't go and point to the word of God is not worth going to because when Jesus comes into a woman's life and into a man's life, he changes everything around them. So what they were concerned about in society is if the men get saved and they start treating the women right, and the women get saved, and they start submitting to the men biblically, and children get saved, the whole place is going to be chaotic. But actually what they didn't know is it was all going to come together under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Now, this is going to make it a whole lot easier. It's getting warm in here. As they say on the airplane, there's turbulence ahead. Buckle your seatbelt. We got some rough weather coming. Here we go. So wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now that doesn't mean that your husband is the Lord. (laughs) It means that you're to submit your life to the Lord first. Your primary relationship is not to your husband. It is to your Lord. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Would you say in your marriage that you are the one, wives, that would say, I know Jesus is my Savior. I understand how much he values me and how much he loves me. So it's never me versus him. It's always out of reverence for Christ. That's what Paul is trying to say here. He's trying to maintain order in the sense of there's got to be a relationship where you don't have two leaders. If you have two leaders in a relationship, that's a deformity. You have two heads and you can't have that. So wives submit simply means this. Just like God the Father and God the Son were equal in position, authority, and power, 
Jesus willingly submitted to the Father's plan. He willingly humbled himself. He willingly humiliated himself. He willingly came under. Nobody forced him. So in the husband-wife relationship, because the husband is the leader and the lover of the home, the wife joyfully submits because she's already submitted to Christ and him already willfully submits to his headship and his leadership. Now, you might say, well, I will submit... If he will love me, can I tell you something? Jesus has loved you with an everlasting love. And your primary relationship is not to him, it's to your Lord. So don't think about him, think about your Lord. You will answer to God, not to him. You will be submitted to God first. That's what Paul is saying. Well, if he loves me, I'll submit. It's not about him and it's not about you. It's about him glorifying Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Now watch this. It beautifully works together. I promise you it does. Now, there's only about 40 words that explain the wife's role, and there's about 115 that explain the husband. You come back next week, bring your husband with you. All right, here we go. So the main relationship is to the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. And we submit to one another, and wives submit, because we accept one another as a gift. We accept one another as a gift. We have a super acceptance toward one another. We, we value one another. We realize that our spouse, um, that we are one with, that we are united with, that is the picture of the heavenly marriage in the earthly realm, we understand that submission is part of our relationship with Jesus, so we're willing to do that. Then Paul says, for the husband, look at the text, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. So the idea is the husband's the head of the wife. It doesn't say the husband is the Lord of the wife. Make sure you get this. The husband is not the Lord of the wife. Jesus is the Lord of the church. He's the Lord of the husband and he's the Lord of the wife. But it does say in authority here that is delegated that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So I just gave you that idea of submission. I gave you the idea of you can't have two leaders in a relationship. So therefore, one of them steps up as the leader and the other one willfully and joyfully submits. But they both submit to the one who is the Lord. So for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Two people, equal in value, husband and wife, equal in value, equal in competence, equal in beautiful uh, information, talent, gifts, all of that. There's not one here and one here. Both equal and valued in God's eyes. And God says, but the husband is the head. So that means two people that are equal in value. You can't have two five-star generals go to battle. You'll have a disaster. So I've got two five-star generals, but one of them is willing to submit to the headship of the other. That's called delegated authority. So Jesus is both the Lord of the husband and wife and the head of the husband and the wife. That's what Paul's saying here. For the husband is the head of the wife. And so the idea is that God does not, now listen carefully, God does not want the man to be in control in the marriage. Listen carefully. God does not want the woman to be in control in the marriage. God wants Jesus to be in control in the marriage. That'll free you up. 
Because you got this person fighting for, for territory over here, and this person fighting for territory over here. But we need to accept each other as God's gift. And God has a plan, and God's ways always work. God's plan for marriage always works. So Christ is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Let me give you an example before it gets real hot in here. The example is this. So one time we were going on a staff retreat when I, in, back in the 80s. And uh, Bill Cole, I think Emery Gad, and my wife was in the car and I was driving. And we were following our leader, Brother John. If you've ever ridden with Brother John, uh, there's the spirit of the law and then there's the letter of the law and he's really on the side of the spirit of the law. He hadn't, I mean, he just flies. But we didn't have a GPS back then. All we had was directions written on a piece of paper from Beverly. And that's how we got there. So you're reading the directions and you're trying to stay up with Brother John. Well, we're going over to the ranch and, and we're going over these hills and we're going over them. And all of a sudden that red, car, that red truck disappears. And it had a mounted elk on it. Because, I mean, you know, he's a hunter. So it had a mounted elk. And all of a sudden, like three of our staff members, I was like the second one. I wasn't the first one. We came over this hill and there was a sheriff. There were two cop cars and a sheriff, you know, the Texas sheriff with like the hat, the big rim and the chew. And they didn't stop us. They were in the middle of the road just going like this, going like this. And so I think Gene Minster was the first to get pulled over. I was the second and somebody else was the third. And we got like four tickets that day. And I thought, you know what? I can either yield and submit I can say, oh, he's my authority. Brother John's my authority. He's my authority. Or I can yield and submit to the one who actually has the badge (laughs) and has all authority in him. Now, so I decided to yield to the one who had all authority. Listen to me. When we talk about marriage, Jesus has the badge. And we submit to what he says in marriage. Now listen, husband, if you're trying to tell your wife, submit, submit, that's not your job. God says that. God will take care of that. You love her with the love of Christ and you be crazy in love with her because your marriage that's earthly really speaks a beautiful picture of the heavenly marriage. So when you're crazy in love, your marriage can be used by God for people to actually get saved because they're looking at your marriage. That's what Paul's saying here. For the husband is the head of the wife. And I know people say this to me, Well, I tell you what, you don't know the home I grew up in. Listen to me. You're either a product of the cross, which is brand new, or you're a product of your past. And I choose not to be a product of my past. You say, I had a dominating mother, and I had a dominant father, and he was like a boss, a CEO. Listen to me. That's okay. You can get past your past because your faith is in Jesus Christ, and now he's going to set you on the right course. So you can't blame your flesh and blame your family. you got to take responsibility and say, if this is what God says, that's what I want to be because I'm a picture to the world. Our marriage is a picture to the world of who Jesus is. That's what Paul's saying here. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. 
and he's the savior of the body. Think about this. He didn't dominate us. He didn't push us down. We actually, he came and he served us. He came and donned the towel. He went from exaltation to humiliation and he came all the way down to this earth and he served us and he loved us. He didn't dominate us. He didn't abuse us. He said, listen, I love you and I care for you and I'm willing to give my life for you and here's what we found ourselves doing. We put ourselves under submission to him. He didn't put himself over us. We actually put ourselves under him and said, if you're going to love me with that kind of love, I'm willing to jump in and, and fall for that. That's what Paul's saying here. So the husband's the head of the wife. The head doesn't mean boss, CEO, uh, dominating personality. It means someone who gives direction in the family. That's what the head does. The head gives direction. We can't find our way. So God says, I'm going to give you direction as the head. And the way that I'm going to give you direction is, men, when you spend time in God's Word, you immerse yourself in the Word of God. And when you immerse yourself in the Word of God, you'll have authority with the direction that you speak. And you'll begin to love your life like you can't love your wife because you can't love your wife apart from spending time in God's Word and apart from the Holy Spirit working in your life. So when you begin to love her as the head, you're not dominating over her. Actually, you're, she's being free to be who God's made her to be. That's what Paul's saying. Let me give you another illustration on here because I want to make sure we don't leave here confused about this. I'm fixing to get to the tough stuff and then we'll have the Lord's Supper. It says Christ is the head of the church. It would like be a, a women's basketball coach. She, she, let's say she's the coach. Or let's say it's a guy that's the coach. He's the coach of the team. So he has the authority. He's the one that picks the players. He's the one who says who's going to play, who's going to sit on the bench. That's what the coach would do. So the coach oftentimes, though, in a basketball team will designate a captain that's equal among players. But that captain will have authority over the team in the delegated authority that the coach gave to the captain. Follow me here? Now listen, Jesus is the coach of the family. He is the captain of the family. The husband is not the coach. The husband is the captain of the family, if you will, because he has delegated authority from God Almighty. So the coach would be very wise if he would listen to his wife. Uh, the captain would be very wise if he would listen to his wife because the Bible says that we share in a relationship with one another. How can you share in a relationship with someone if you don't communicate with them, if you don't accept them, if you don't love them with an everlasting love? So the idea is Paul says that that Christ is, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that we've already covered that Christ is the head of the church and he is for the church. So if I'm going to be for my wife, then I've got to lead out of love for him. I've got to be the leader and the lover in the home and I've got to get my directions from the head. Not only do I get my directions from the head, but I give protection from the head. Let me show you something on the screen about protection. Uh, this week, my wife, uh, it's coming. When it comes, there it is. She sends me a text. I'm the protector of my family. Can you see me? Look at this. There's a lizard. That's, that's a lizard. Here's the text I'm trapped on the porch. Here's my response. And it's a good thing I can take. Oh my gosh, he's controlling you. I'm trying to give her a spiritual thing there. 
Here's what she said. I sprayed him with water. He moved. Here's my response. On my way. So here's the point, fellas. Not only do I don't know how I'm going to get out. However we give direction in our family according to the word, we're also the protector of our wives. We really are. I'm on my way. I've got a red S on my chest. It is my job to protect. (laughs) Oh, geez. A snake would have been better, but a lizard, come on. I said, could I kill the lizard? No, 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 no. I said, well, I used to kill gerbils, and we had funerals for them. When our son was little, we would, I would do a funeral, and we'd flush him down the commode. That was biblical. <clears throat> Never mind. My point is, when Paul says Christ is the head of the church, he is the Savior of the world, the Savior of the body, I'm not the Savior of my wife, but I am the protector of my wife. I do stand up for her. I do value her, and I treat her with dignity and respect. The reason I do that is because I'm filled with the Spirit. When she has a bad day, and my response isn't one that should be, uh, I should respond back to her in a proper way, I don't say, well, she said this to me, now I'm going to say something back. No, I'm the protector. I'm the lover and the leader in the home, and it's vice versa. So both of us have to yield our relationship in the flesh to our relationship in the spirit. So as I am the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, I'm always yielding to Jesus in my relationship. I'm always running to him. I'm always saying, Jesus, I need power to love my wife. I can't love my wife apart from you, Jesus. Some men have tried to love their wives with a fleshly love. And I'm telling you, their wives know that they can't be loved that way. When your wife is loved by the head, which is Jesus, and as the delegated authority in the home, when Jesus begins to produce a love through me to my wife, she knows when she's been loved by Jesus or loved by my flesh. See, Jesus is the lover of the soul. Jesus is the one that's in charge of this whole thing. And all both of us do is yield and submit and surrender to his authority. It's beautiful. Watch this. We'll we'll close with this in verse 24. So Jesus is the Savior. He's the Savior of the body. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of the church. He's the Savior of wives, children, slaves, husbands. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, let's explain. There's a little phrase, in everything. What does that mean? Lord, help me with this. (laughs) It doesn't mean we can't disagree. It doesn't mean we can't disagree. It doesn't mean we can't communicate. It doesn't mean that I come with this dominant CEO, boss mentality and said, I'm the head honcho here. You submit to me in everything. Let me tell you what in everything doesn't mean, just so I'm real clear. And you can send emails to me on this one, and I'll be glad to respond. It is never okay for a man to abuse a woman. You say, well, I'm going to be submissive because I'm such a meek, mild person. I'm just going to submit to my husband, and he's beating me. I'm just going to submit to that. You are never to submit to your husband when your husband is doing something that is called sin. 
You are never to submit to anything your husband says when he tells you to sin. You are always to submit to your primary relationship, which is your Lord. If anybody asks you to do anything outside of the boundaries of God's Word, you don't submit to that. You submit to God because you're already submitted to Him. Now, I'm going to say it. If you allow the person who is supposed to love you and treasure you and bless you and bless your children and love you with an everlasting love, if that person is the one who is laying hands on you and abusing you, you have a commitment to call 911 and report it. That's what you do. And you get help. You get help. You don't say, well, I just submit, I just submit. No, that is not what Jesus would do. He values people, he loves people. He died for you, he died for your children, and he died for your husband, and he does not want your husband to take those liberties on you and treat you like that. That is not what submission means. That is what it not means. What it does mean is you share two lives together and they're blended by the power of the Holy Spirit. 99 0.99% of the time, my wife and I agree. We disagree on some things. We come together and we talk. We back off and we pray. And we come together and we talk and we back off and we pray. And I can tell you, almost 100% of the time, we come to unity in a decision. We share our lives together. But what Paul is saying here, that 0.01% where you just can't come together on the same page A wife is to be willing to joyfully submit to her husband and not say, if this thing doesn't work out, I will hang it over your head for the rest of your life. That's not what he's talking about. The kind of submission he's talking about is, honey, I I sense that this is something we probably shouldn't do, but I am willing to step out in faith and trust you and know that even if this thing falls apart, I'm willing to stand with you for the rest of my life. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Let me give you an illustration of this. And I'll close and then we'll do the Lord's Supper. E.V. Hill was a great preacher. Great, great preacher. On TBN, he's one of my favorite preachers because he started out slow, he wore a tie. He kind of started out in his introductions. When he started preaching, he started shredding stuff. Take his coat off, take his tie off. And uh, he did his wife's funeral. I actually have, I think, the cassette tape of this way, way back. He said one time he came home and he was in seminary and they, could, they were barely making any money. And he said he came home and he came inside the house and it was dark and he noticed that there was a candle on a table. And uh, when, he, when his wife met him at the door, she said, honey, we're going to have a candlelight dinner tonight. He said, we are? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be beautiful. I love you so much. I appreciate all that you're doing, trying to go to seminary, learning the word of God. Um, and then... It, Evie Hill went to wash his hands in the bathroom and he flipped the light switch on. And he said, honey, have the lights been cut off? She said, yeah, but we're going to make the most of it tonight. Think about that. She could have hammered him. She could have been on his case. She could have let him have it. But a wife that is beautifully submitted to Jesus, when there's a situation and opportunity for her to minister and complete her husband, she does it. Not only that, he tells at the end of the funeral, he said he had some bomb threats and one of the threats was there was a bomb in his car. So he got up the next morning. He was going to go check his car out to make sure everything was clear. And he saw his wife coming around the corner in the car. She came around in the car, pulled into the driveway. She said, honey, 
I want you to know before you go to work today, your car's okay. I've already checked it out. You say, what a wife. No, what a savior. What a savior. Only God can do that. Isn't that beautiful? See, the marriage relationship is a beautiful channel of love and grace and mercy where people don't look at themselves, they look at Christ. And that's what Paul says. Let wives be to their own husbands in everything. That means, wife, that there's no area of your life that is cordoned off from your husband. You don't say, well, this is an area that you can't go into. This is a secret place. No, every area is 100% open because you complete and you encourage your husband and you're living in a 100% relationship with him. He's in a 100% relationship with you. And when you put the Holy Spirit and the power of God in that relationship, it's a 200% relationship. And here's the husband, here's the wife, and the closer you, and here's Christ, the closer you get to him, the more God miraculously brings you together in the spirit of oneness. How beautiful is that? God, save our marriages. Save our marriages. Let it be what you want it to be. Would you bow with me this morning before we take the Lord's Supper? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, before we pass the elements of the Lord's Supper, we would want you to know that there's no power and magic in the symbol of the juice and the bread that we're going to pass out to you. It's all symbolic. They, they represent, they're symbolic of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when you take the bread and you drink the juice, it is a reminder to you and a reminder to me that we have appropriated by faith the gift of salvation and only Jesus can save us. So if you're here this morning and you're a husband and you've never been saved by the blood of Jesus or you're a wife and you've never bowed your heart before the Lord Jesus or you're a child and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you to do that before we take the supper because the supper won't save you. Only Jesus will save you. It's just symbolic. I pray this morning for anybody watching, tuning in, that doesn't know Jesus, that they would receive the free gift of salvation. Just like we'll receive the Lord's Supper as a reminder of the high price that was paid for our salvation. Would you just, where you sit, kind of draw a circle around yourself? And if you've never prayed this prayer, say, Jesus, I really want to know you personally. I really want to submit in this moment to you I realize how much you love me. I realize in this text, you're the savior of the body, but you're not my savior. So I want to submit my life to you. I want you to save me right now. Come into my heart, change me. Wives being changed, husbands being changed, and children's being changed. God, do this in my life right now by the power of the Holy Spirit.